This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's something you know makes you feel better that you aren't doing enough of? Maybe it's going on a morning walk or reading a book or calling a friend, or maybe it's going to therapy. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Visit betterhelp.com super to give it a try. Hey, brother. Well, you guys, it is a sad day for all Potterheads out there because in case you haven't heard, Michael Gambon, who portrayed Albus Dumbledore in the final six Harry Potter films, has sadly passed away. So today we thought it might be a fun tribute to delve into the life, adventures, and enduring wisdom of Albus Dumbledore. A character who has transcended the pages of Harry Potter to become so much more. He's a symbol of hope, courage, and love. We mostly know him as Harry's headmaster, but Dumbledore lived a long and complicated life, which he mostly dedicated to teaching and defeating the dark arts. But if you've just read the story, it can be hard to get a full scope. Lots of the information comes out of order, and a lot of it is delivered with an obvious slant. Thank you, Rita Skeeter. Not to mention, tons of additional information has come out as well via just posts on Wizarding World or in the Fantastic Beasts movies. So without any further ado, let us dive into the life and loves of Albus Dumbledore. First up, Lemon Drops. Guys, before we begin today, I want to give you a big announcement that this Sunday, Ben and I's brand new podcast, Through the Gryffindor, a chapter-by-chapter read-through of the entire Harry Potter series, will be launching. You can get it wherever pods are cast. You can watch it right here on YouTube. There's a link in the description. On Sunday, the first three episodes, that's the first three chapters of The Philosopher's Stone, are going to launch simultaneously, and then every week we'll do another chapter after that. I am so excited for it and I uh, hope you'll give it a listen. Thanks. Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore was born in the August of 1881 at Mold on the Wald, England to parents Percival and Kendra. He was the eldest of three children in his family, followed by his brother Aberforth and then his youngest sister, Ariana. And while not much is known about Dumbledore's early childhood, we can assume it was mostly normal until the year of 1891 when his then six-year-old sister Ariana was attacked by muggle boys who caught her doing magic. And this attack would prove not to just be a turning point in the life of Albus Dumbledore, but also in many ways, the entire wizarding world. Firstly, because the attack traumatized the young Ariana Dumbledore, who became too afraid to ever use her magic again and began repressing it as much as she could, which led her to develop an Obscurus, a magical cancer of sorts that looks like a black cloud and acts as a parasite that eventually kills its host. The attack also led Albus's father, Percival, to track down the muggle boys who attacked his daughter and attacked them back in a fit of rage, which ultimately landed him a lifetime sentence in Azkaban prison. This left poor Kendra Dumbledore with no one to help raise the kids, an infamous husband who was now incarcerated, and a very dangerous daughter. Dangerous because her magic would explode out of her in dangerous ways, not because she was malicious in any way. But the end result was Kendra Dumbledore decided to move the family from Mold on the Wald to the wizarding town of Godric's Hollow to begin a new life 
a life of secrecy. Because once they arrived in Godric's Hollow, Kendra hid Ariana away, not just because she was afraid that her magic might hurt somebody, but she was afraid if the greater wizarding world discovered her condition, she would be permanently moved to St. Mungo's. And so ended the childhood of Albus Dumbledore, who would arrive at Hogwarts a year later, now under the infamous mantle of his apparently criminal father. It was a lot to deal with, as many of the students and staff there believed that Albus himself was a muggle hater as well, just like his dad, right? However, Albus would quickly leave that legacy behind him as he almost immediately proved to be one of the most brilliant students to ever enter the castle. He was sorted into a Gryffindor house where he befriended Elpheus Doge, who would remain a lifelong friend. And according to Doge, that even by the end of Albus's first year, he was already known as <clears throat> nothing less than the most brilliant student ever seen at the school. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a first year. You have to imagine that means Dumbledore made the Quidditch team, and I know what you're thinking, well, no, but Harry was the youngest seeker in a century, but also, if you do the math, this is exactly 100 years before Harry gets there, so a century. By Dumbledore's fifth year, he had become a school prefect. By his seventh year, he was head boy. He was even in contact with many of the most notable wizarding names of the day, including Bethilda Bagshot, Nicholas Flamel, and Adelbert Waffling. Actually, fun fact, in Harry's first year, he's required to have a textbook theory of magic by Adelbert Waffling. Heck, Dumbledore even won the Barnabas Finkley Prize for exceptional spell casting. He became the British Youth Representative for the Wisdom Magot and received the gold medal for groundbreaking contribution to the International Alchemical Conference Cairo, but he doesn't talk about that. Personally, I'd love to know what ground he broke for alchemy because alchemy as an entire field of study, the point of it is to make the Philosopher's Stone, which by all accounts had already been done like 500 years ago by Nicholas Flamel. So like what, what more did he do? I don't know, but he must've done something because that's part of what he's known for on the Chocolate Frog cards, so. The point is upon graduating Hogwarts, Dumbledore seemed ready to take on the world and pursue any ambition his heart desired. But it was not meant to be. On the very eve, he and Elpheus Doge were meant to start their Grand World Tour, apparently a tradition for wizards to take after they graduated school. Albus's sister, Ariana, had a horrible outburst of magic that ended up killing his mother, Kendra. And this stranded Albus in Godric's Hollow to arrange his mother's funeral and to take over care of his sister. And although Dumbledore loved his sister very much, it must be said that he did resent this sudden turn of events in his life. And it wasn't the only turn his life was about to take, because little did he know yet another brilliant magical mind was about to arrive in Godric's Hollow that summer. Gellert Grindelwald. Turns out 1899 was to be the summer of love for both of the Dumbledore boys, both Albus and Aberforth. Albus finally had a magical equal in Grindelwald, and the two boys spent all day, every day, each other discussing different ideas and planning their takeover of, well, the world. Their plan involved discovering the Deathly Hallows and then using them to lead the wizards out of hiding and to rule over the muggles. For their own good, of course, as he said in a letter one night to Grindelwald, your point about wizard dominance being for the muggles' own good. This, I think, is the crucial point. We seize control for the greater good. And from this, it follows that where we meet resistance, we must use only the force that is necessary and no more. And the two were so dedicated to not 
not only each other but the plan that one night they even make a blood pact where they agree to never fight each other. And this is not just like an, an agreement, it's like a literal magical thing, just like a vial of blood. Unsurprising to you at home though, I'm sure, turns out Gellert Grindelwald, not a really nice guy, kind of a super dark wizard, not good choice for significant other. And he would eventually flee Godric's Hollow in pursuit of the Hallows, leaving Albus with a weird mixture of shame and heartbreak. But why did he flee? Well, it turns out Aberforth, who also found love that summer with a girl in Godric's Hollow, there were rumors of a baby, I'm sure that won't come up again, did not like Grindelwald. As Albus and Grindelwald were about to leave to, you know, take over the world, Aberforth confronted them. Even going as far to draw his wand against the two, which was foolish at best, Grindelwald immediately countered by casting the Cruciatus curse on him, thus revealing his true nature. This caused Albus to step in, which started a three-way duel. Spells were flying everywhere, and although none of them would ever know exactly who did it, it ended in Ariana's death. I always think it's worth noting here that the blood pact should have stopped Albus and Grindelwald from fighting, so it's possible Albus was just playing like defense on behalf of both sides in this duel, or that he was actually trying to break the pact in the moment, and that's what ended up killing Ariana, but honestly, we may never know. What we do know is that after the duel, Grindelwald fled Godric's Hollow, and then later at the funeral of Ariana, Aberforth punched Albus in the nose and broke it. And by all accounts, Dumbledore seems to have done nothing to magically fix his nose, which he definitely could have done, but it remains crooked for the rest of his life, and I think he did that on purpose. It's because he feels guilty for the entire situation, and in this way, his guilt is literally right in front of his eyes for the rest of his life. But the experience does teach Albus something. Power was my weakness and temptation. I was safer at Hogwarts. I think I was a good teacher. And so Dumbledore abandoned his quest for world dominance and instead left Godric's Hollow to meet up with his old, and I mean old acquaintance, Nicholas Flamel. You don't look a day over 375. But it was also then in this period where Dumbledore discovered four, or depending on who you ask, up to 12 uses of dragon's blood, something that was also quite notable. And these accomplishments then led to a job offer back at Hogwarts, where he took up the post of a defense against the dark arts professor somewhere in the early 1900s. We don't know the exact start date. But Dumbledore did not forget about Grindelwald and his plans for world dominance, and it seems like he began forming a, a group of people who might be able to resist him. Sort of the forerunners to the Order of the Phoenix, although they were never called that. But we do see Nicholas Flamel flip through a book of contacts, which includes Eulalie Hicks from Ilvermorny across the sea. This group is then called into action in 1927 when Grindelwald calls a rally at the Lestrange Mausoleum in Père Lachaise, an event during which Newt Scamander Niffler is able to recover the blood pact from Grindelwald and return it to Dumbledore. Then, moving forward to 1932, Dumbledore makes a move against Grindelwald when he realizes that Grindelwald is planning to use a chillin to rig the election for Supreme Mugwump and name himself Supreme Mugwump, who's sort of like the leader of the International Confederation of Wizards, sort of like being Wizard King, you know? And this event reveals some cool things about Dumbledore. A chillin, if you don't know, is a small horse slash dragon-esque creature that can look into a person's soul and determine whether or not their heart is pure. Grindelwald has corrupted a chillin so that it will choose him and make him look like he would be an amazing leader. But Dumbledore exposes the truth and produces his own chillin, which then goes on to to acknowledge him as being pure of heart. Dumbledore refuses the position of Supreme Mugwump, but having been defeated, Grindelwald goes to attack Credence Barebone, who it turns out was the love child of Aberforth Dumbledore we mentioned earlier. Huh. 
he did come back again. Grindelwald aims to kill, Albus aims to protect, and Aberforth throws a spell in there as well, but the spells all collide and somehow the blood pact is broken, meaning Dumbledore and Grindelwald are now allowed to fight. And so they do. The two immediately launch into a duel, which ultimately ends in a stalemate and Grindelwald escaping. And sadly, that's probably as much as we're ever gonna know about the Fantastic Beast saga side of things, because I don't feel like they're gonna make fourth movie. But what we do know is that some Somewhere between 1932 and 42, Albus resumes teaching at Hogwarts now as the Transfiguration Professor. In 1938, Dumbledore visits Wool's Orphanage to recruit a new student to Hogwarts, a young boy by the name of Tom Riddle, who I believe the clinical term for is... Ah, yes, a total butthead. But hey, he's a wizard, so he's allowed to come to Hogwarts. I'm sure he's not gonna be a problem. Psych, he's almost immediately a problem. <laughs> Fast forward to 1942, and Dumbledore suspects the young Tom Riddle of opening the Chamber of Secrets, attacking several students, and ultimately killing Myrtle Warren, who I'm told also responds to a uh, moaning Myrtle and then also overly attached girlfriend ghost. Unfortunately, Dumbledore is unable to prove his suspicions, and a boy named Rubeus Hagrid is expelled instead, but Dumbledore is able to convince the then headmaster Armando Dippet to keep him on as gamekeeper. Listen, Armando, I know you think he killed someone, but hear me out. How about we hire him to work here at the school and, and this is where it gets good, we give him keys to every building, hmm? I shouldn't have told you that. I guess to his credit, this does work out, so. Molly Weasley also eventually tells us that when she went to school, the gamekeeper was someone named Og, so maybe Hagrid was really like training under Og or something, but I, don't know, I, I digress. And guys, I would need to take a quick pause to thank today's sponsor, BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I can safely say there have been many times in my life where racing thoughts in my brain have kept me up at night or stopped me from enjoying anything. But that's normal. It's pretty common for us humans to have our brains immediately start talking to us the second we try and lie down and go to sleep even if what they're saying isn't super stressful or important. But there is a great solution to lessening this frequency, and that is just talking about these things in therapy. A place where you can like really get out of all those negative thought cycles. Literally before recording this ad, I just came from therapy, and it is so helpful to have a like professional third party you can dump all those negative thoughts on. It really helps like lessen their impact on your life. It can help you like reprioritize things. And there's just so many broader benefits to therapy as well that just help empower you to be the best version of yourself. You can learn lots of different coping skills. I mean, the benefits are just vast and impactful. And if you've ever just thought about trying it, BetterHelp is a great place to do that because it's entirely online. All you have to do is fill out like a brief questionnaire and boom, they'll match you with a therapist. So get a break from your thoughts. Visit betterhelp.com super to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash super for 10% off your first month. Link is in the description down below. Three years after the chamber was opened, however, leads us to a fateful date in Dumbledore's history, 1945, when he had his enormous legendary duel with Geller Grindelwald. What this duel looked like, though, is up for debate. Some say it was a duel for the ages, but according to Rita Skeeter, she at least teases that the duel might have been nothing more than Grindelwald summoning the white flag. And I mean, at least to her credit, she does get a lot of other things right in her book, so. The important part, though, is that Grindelwald is defeated and possibly more importantly, mastership of the Elder Wand is transferred from Grindelwald to Dumbledore. Grindelwald is not dead, though. He is instead imprisoned in Nurmengard, a prison he built to house his own enemies. Look guys, I know Grindelwald is the darkest wizard of the age and that we have our own prison. We 
with Dementors and everything, but hear me out. What if we put Grindelwald in a prison he built inside of his own home base? Well, I'm just, I'm putting it out there. I mean, I guess it was credited does end up working out, so. Unfortunately though, dark wizard wise, Dumbledore is shoved out of the furnace and into the fire because shortly after Grindelwald is defeated, that total butthead from earlier, Tom Riddle, really starts becoming quite the nuisance. But a few more things happen before that really gets out of control. Dumbledore's offered the position of Minister for Magic several times, but turns them down every time. He of course eventually accepts the job as headmaster at Hogwarts, but before that, we know that he's actually already looking into the history of Tom Riddle because he he collects a memory from a house elf named Hokey after her master Hepzibah Smith suddenly dies. The ministry believes that Hokey did it, she even admits to it, but Dumbledore finds that the memory proves otherwise. Moving on to Dumbledore being the headmaster at Hogwarts though, this was sort of a mystery. It's not actually clear when he becomes headmaster. We know that at least 10 years after the Hokey memory, Riddle visits the school to ask for a job himself, and at that point, Dumbledore is headmaster. Tom killing Hepzibah also marks the end of him working at Borgen and Burks. The trouble is we just don't know how long he was at Borgen and Burks. I always thought it was only like one or two years, but it turns out it might have been closer to like 10? Surprisingly, the big hint actually comes from Lupin, who tells us, But then Dumbledore became headmaster, and he was sympathetic. He said that as long as we took certain precautions, there was no reason I shouldn't come to school. Okay, and so Lupin was bitten as a five-year-old in 1965, and it sounds like there was a period of time there when, after he was bitten, they didn't think he was going to be able to go to Hogwarts, but then Dumbledore became headmaster. Meaning Dumbledore couldn't have become headmaster until after 1965, but before 1971 when Lupin would have started school. But then based on the interview with Tom and the distance of time from when Tom attacked Hepzibah and he got the memory from Hokie, that had to be 10 years ago, meaning that Tom had to have been working at Borken and Burks until at least 1955, which is then, yeah, like 10 years after he graduated, so wow longer than I thought. Anyway, as headmaster, one of the first big decisions he makes is to not hire Tom Riddle as the defense against the dark arts teacher, which is probably a very good decision, but then also ends up cursing the position for the next several decades. During which time Voldemort truly begins to rise to power and Dumbledore forms the first Order of the Phoenix in 1970. And we know that during that time, one such member, James Potter, lends Dumbledore his Cloak of Invisibility because Dumbledore wants to inspect it, suspecting that it might be the true Cloak of Invisibility, one of the Deathly Hallows. The war continues throughout the decade with Voldemort gaining more and more ground until 1978 when Dumbledore has another fateful interview, this time with Sybil Trelawney who is interviewing for the post of divination. A subject Dumbledore doesn't even really want at the school, he's just sort of taking the meeting as a favor, but it turns out it's a super important meeting and yeah, divination's really important. Because at that interview, Sybil goes on to make the prophecy about the chosen one who would go on to defeat Voldemort, to Dumbledore, who then of course hires her to keep her safe and away from the Death Eaters. Unfortunately though, a portion of that prophecy is overheard by Severus Snape, who is acting for a spy to Lord Voldemort, who then reports what he heard to Voldemort. And this is what leads Voldemort to ultimately attack young Harry Potter as a baby. Obviously the spell doesn't work, it backfires on Voldemort and reduces him to a mist-like state for the next 
14 years. After the attack, Dumbledore himself leaves the baby Harry Potter at his aunt and uncle's house, where he places the Bond of Blood charm on him, protecting him from Voldemort at that location, as long as he can call the location, number four Privet Drive, his home. From there, 10 years pass, and Dumbledore finally meets Harry again when he's old enough to attend Hogwarts. And in many ways, Harry's return to the wizarding world is Dumbledore's entering his endgame in the war against Voldemort. We know Dumbledore's been suspicious of Tom Riddle since the Chamber of Secrets was opened, if not from the moment he met him in the orphanage. And having been the one who heard the prophecy, he's positive that Voldemort will return someday. And Harry's return to the wizarding world is kind of the catalyst for Voldemort wanting to come back anyway, as this is really the first time in the last decade that Harry's ever been vulnerable and away from the Dursleys. Dumbledore is immediately onto him though and has Professor Snape tail Professor Quirrell the entire year, suspecting that he might be aiding Voldemort in some way in trying to steal the Philosopher's Stone. But at this point, Dumbledore still doesn't know how Voldemort survived or how he's going to come back. He doesn't know about the Horcruxes yet. It's not until the end of Harry's second year when the Chamber of Secrets is opened again and the diary is discovered that Dumbledore begins to get an inkling of how Voldemort has achieved his level of immortality. As such though, it appears Dumbledore immediately gets to work preparing Harry to face Voldemort in some sort of final showdown. He returns the invisibility cloak to Harry and then watches as Harry discovers the mirror of Erised. Back again, Harry? The soon to be hiding place of the Philosopher's Stone. And then as far as I'm concerned, builds an obstacle course specifically designed for Harry and his friends to try and tackle if they wanted to. That's wizard's chess. It's chess board. I mean, the tasks are pretty specific to their exact set of skills and they don't matter anyway because there's no way anyone can defeat the mirror. And then afterwards, Harry even tells Ron and Hermione, he's a funny man, Dumbledore. I think he sort of wanted to give me a chance. I think he knows more or less everything that goes on here, you know? I reckon he had a pretty good idea we were going to try. Instead of stopping us, he just taught us enough to help. I don't think it was an accident he let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like he thought I had the right to face Voldemort if I could. From here, we move to Harry's second year, where, as we mentioned before, Dumbledore gets a huge clue about how to defeat Voldemort in the form of Tom Riddle's diary. Then during Harry's third year, Dumbledore is surprisingly not very active, other than worrying about stopping Sirius from breaking in and killing Harry, which it has to be said, he's really bad at. I mean, Sirius makes it all the way up to the Gryffindor boys' dormitory. Like, he's not actually trying to kill Harry, which is the saving grace, but if he was, he could have. That said, he does trust Harry at the end that Sirius is innocent and gives Hermione and Harry the task of saving both Buckbeak and Sirius by using the Time Turner, which they do. Moving into their fourth year, we know that Dumbledore helped plan the Triwizard Tournament and its triumphant return to Hogwarts, but then spends most of the year worrying about who and how Harry's name got into the Goblet of Fire. Harry, you put your name in the Goblet of Fire. At the end of this year, he also gets some more welcome news. I mean, it's obviously bad news that Voldemort has returned but the good news is that Voldemort used Harry's blood as part of his resurrection. For a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. That line right there is Dumbledore realizing that because Voldemort used Harry's blood, Harry is now tethered to life via Lily's sacrifice living on inside of Voldemort and that there's actually going to be a way for the Horcrux inside of Harry to be destroyed as long as Voldemort is the one to attack him. That would destroy the Horcrux inside of him, but also Harry would be tethered to life. Got it? 
Immediately after receiving this news and after he realizes that the Ministry doesn't believe that Voldemort's back, Dumbledore goes on to form the Second Order of the Phoenix. However, it turns out that in addition to combating Voldemort with the Order of the Phoenix, Dumbledore also has to deal with the Ministry trying to discredit literally everything he says because at this point, they think that Dumbledore is just building an army at the school and wants to try and overthrow the Ministry. In fact, at one point, the defense club started by Harry, Ron, and Hermione labeled Dumbledore's army is eventually found out by the Ministry and they try to arrest Dumbledore because this seemingly confirms their suspicions. But you can't deny Dumbledore's got style. But they are no match for him. He evades them and then goes into hiding. During this year, Dumbledore also urges Harry to learn occlumency so that Voldemort is not able to lure him to the Department of Mysteries and reclaim the entire prophecy. This does not work, however, and Harry is lured to the Department of Mysteries, but then Severus Snape tips off Dumbledore that Harry and friends are there and he arrives in time to rescue Harry and duel Lord Voldemort. This duel also ends in a stalemate, but Cornelius Fudge himself arrives at the Ministry just in time to see Voldemort with his own eyes before Voldemort flees. He's back. And now Dumbledore really gets to work. The following summer, he is able to track down the home of Voldemort's mother, Merope Gaunt. And here he discovers another of Voldemort's Horcruxes, a Gaunt family heirloom that, according to Voldemort's grandfather, bears the Peveril coat of arms. However, what it actually bears is the symbol of the Deathly Hallows, which were created by the Peveril brothers. And struck by the curiosity of his own youth and his former hunt for the Deathly Hallows, Dumbledore suspects he might now suddenly and unwittingly be holding the Resurrection Stone. Thus, he puts the ring on, hoping he may see his family again. However, this turns out to be quite the fatal mistake. In his fervor, he forgot that he was holding a Horcrux, and upon putting it on, it unleashes a powerful, deadly curse on him. Snape is able to confine the curse to his hand, but warns that a curse of this power cannot be held back forever, and that eventually it will kill him, giving him a year to live at best. Nonetheless, Dumbledore is still able to use the Sword of Gryffindor to destroy the Ring Horcrux. And from there, he spends the remaining year of his life giving Harry all the information he can to help him hunt down the rest of the Horcruxes and defeat Voldemort. He also becomes aware of a plot from Voldemort to have Draco Malfoy try and kill him. The plot, however, is mostly punishment for Lucius Malfoy for failing to recover the prophecy the previous year. It's really just slow torture for the Malfoys because Voldemort is promising to kill Draco if Draco can't kill Dumbledore, which is, you know, impossible. But knowing he only has a year to live anyway and in an effort to save Draco, Dumbledore arranges his own death with Severus Snape. During the rest of Harry's sixth year, Dumbledore continues to travel as much as possible, trying to hunt down any piece he can of Voldemort's past, eventually uncovering a cave he once visited as a child when he was still at the orphanage. He allows Harry to accompany him into the cave where he suspects there is another Horcrux. Together they venture into the cave and uncover an underground lake with a small island at the center which holds a basin. After a brief examination, Dumbledore determines that the only way to get the Horcrux out of the basin is to drink all of the potion in it. But unfortunately for him, this potion is the drink of despair. It is a terrible potion that forces the drinker to relive their worst memories over and over and over and horribly weakens Dumbledore, but eventually he does drink it all and Harry is able to collect what they believe to be a Horcrux from the bottom of the basin. But their adventure is not over. When they arrive back to the school before Dumbledore 
Dumbledore can heal up at all, they see the dark mark of Lord Voldemort over the astronomy tower. The dark mark meaning someone has been killed. They race to the tower only to discover that no one is dead, but that it is a trap. Draco Malfoy is there waiting for them and disarms Dumbledore immediately. However, he does not kill him. He hesitates until more Death Eaters arrive. In the end, Dumbledore is able to talk down Draco enough to stop him from committing the act himself. But once Severus arrives on the scene with Death Eaters watching, there is nothing left to do. Snape fulfills his end of the bargain. <laughs> And so ends the life of Albus Dumbledore. Dumbledore does go on to experience some amount of post-mortem interaction with the world via the portrait of himself in the headmaster's office and when he talks to Harry in limbo, explaining to him all the things that have just happened. But as neither of those situations truly represent a living Dumbledore, I think this is where our story ends. But fret not, friends, for in Dumbledore's own words, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. This is, as they say, your party. Guys, thanks so much for watching today's video. If you'd like to see more videos in this style, if you want to see like the full background of other characters, please let us know. Uh, give me suggestions for who you'd like to see. This is a style of video we've been considering doing for a while. Uh, if you want to see more about all the ways in which Dumbledore was pulling the strings on Harry's life, I totally recommend this video right here. It's called Dumbledore's Big Plan, and it's basically uh, all the things he was doing behind the scenes, controlling everything that ever happened in Harry's life. It's super interesting, and I think honestly what was really happening throughout the entire story. So otherwise, uh, thanks for watching. And until next time, Ben, I will see you in another life, brother.